We're talking about another chapter from my new book, Soul Care, which is available right now at timeofgrace.org, with an episode that I am calling Check Your Attitude at the Door. Hey, it's Amber, wife, mother, type A, child of God. Here are little things we look at everyday issues from a biblical perspective with one simple goal, to know and love God more. Thanks for listening. So we're talking about attitude today, and I'd like to direct you to Proverbs 14, verse 1. It says this, a wise woman builds her house, but a foolish one tears it down. Attitude is so encompassing. It affects so many things. And sometimes I don't think we realize how much our attitude affects the people around us. So back in 2020, um, at the end of the year, I became very good friends with a woman who changed my perspective for the good. I wish all of you had a friend like my dear friend, Rhoda. She is the most joy-filled person that I know. And she's all about teaching people how to thrive and how to be full of joy. And so here are some of the things that she taught me. First of all, she taught me that we always have a reason to be grateful. So every single thing that we do is a reason to be grateful. So if I would grumble about anything, anything at all, if I'd say, today I have to, She'd be like, hmm, kind of seems like you get to, you know, and then she'd explain why. So for instance, if I was complaining about, oh, today I have to go work in my yard. She'd be like, Amber, you have a yard. Do you realize how awesome that is? And you have your health and your energy and your strength and you have a family that gets to enjoy your yard. And she just always turned things around that way so that any time I grumbled at all, she would immediately be like, hmm. Yeah, I see it differently, Amber. I see it like this. So much so that about a month ago now, I was pretty sick and I had texted her because I was doing a project that we were working on. And I said, hey, I'm really sick right now. And so I'm working on this, blah, 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 blah. And she's like, oh, such a bummer. You know, I hope you feel better soon. I'll, I'll say a prayer for you. And I'm like, Rhoda, it's a blessing because I get to stay home and work on this. Yes, I feel super, super crummy. But also, I see it as a, a, a time that God has given me where I don't have to go to work. I don't have to do a lot of other things. I was kind of quarantining from the rest of my family. So I was like, in a way, it's, it's a little gift from God. And then I responded later, sounds like something Rhoda would say. <laughs> you know, like She had just affected me so much and just to the point of always finding the thing that you usually complain about and turning it around for good. And let me tell you, when you are around someone like that, it changes everything. So yesterday I was at work and we have a new travel staff. So we have travel nursing assistants and nurses that come in often. And um, this, this particular person complained the whole day. The whole day, every time I was in a room helping this person, I heard all about all the things they still had to do and what was happening and this and this and this and this. And I am so used to going to work, just being prepared to work and working with people. We've gotten in a rhythm at work where 
we know it's going to be hard. We know we're going to work all day. We know there's probably 20 things that we need to do within a short amount of time. The lights keep going on and people need to get up. And then, you know, you, you haven't even finished getting some people up and other people have to go in the bathroom and this person needs a bath. And, you know, we're used to that, right? But what we have decided and, and what I have made a point of doing is just let's all pitch in and get the work done. And it'll get done when it gets done. Try to stay focused on the most important priorities first. And then, you know, in on, inanimate objects get taken care of last. So beds might not get made immediately, but people are up and they're eating breakfast and da 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 So I was in a room with someone else later and she she was just um, overwhelmed by the situation in the room. And so I said, hey, let me let me help with that. And there was another nursing assistant. I said, maybe you could help too. And so all three of us did it really quickly, took, you know, a third of the time that this nurse would have had to spend doing something. And she's like, you know, it is so awesome to have teamwork. And I said, that's the motto I live by, you know, like, let's just all get in there and get done. Such a different feeling being in a room where there was a recognized need that would take one person a long time and all of us just saying, well, let's just work together and get it done. And being in another room with someone who chose to just grumble nonstop. I was already in there helping. It's not like I was out, you know, <laughs> ignoring the fact that this person needed help. I was, I was already helping. I was already there. So why grumble? the entire time about how hard it is. We're both in there working, just get it done. It changes so much. So there's another passage in the book of Proverbs, Proverbs 27, verse 15, that says, a quarrelsome wife is like the dripping of a leaky roof in a rainstorm. Now, I don't know if you've ever had the experience that I've had. Have you ever been in a rainstorm and just absolutely been miserable. My husband really wanted to take the family up to the Boundary Waters. Before we had children, we had gone to the Boundary Waters many, many times, and we were kind of gung-ho and went hard and fast and conquered a lot of territory, rode a long time and stayed, you know, whatever. Um, but so we took our family up, I think in 2015, so eight years ago now. And there's six of us. So my husband decided that I would stay with two girls, the two smallest girls in one tent, and he would stay with the older children in another tent on our campsite. So we set the tents up and we got the rain flaps on. And we went to bed for the night. Well, in the middle of the night, there was a violent thunderstorm. So violent that it like ripped the rain flap off of our tent, which meant that we were open to the rain coming in. Now, my two daughters had rainproof, waterproof sleeping bags. I was sleeping in a sleeping bag from my parents, which was older than I was, and it was a cloth sleeping bag. And so as the rain came in, my sleeping bag absorbed all the water. And it wasn't long before my pajamas were wet, the sleeping bag was wet, then I had water running through the tent. My two girls honestly put the sleeping bag over their heads and they just slept like in a little cocoon. I 
prayed and waited for the rain to stop. And it just didn't stop and didn't stop and didn't stop. I was miserable. I was cold. It was horrid. It was dark out there. And, you know, I wasn't going to go walking around in the woods at night. You know, the outside was rainy too. So it, it was just one of the most miserable nights I've ever had. And to hear that a quarrelsome wife is like a leaky roof in a rainstorm, I get the misery of that. I, I, that's, a, that's a place that no man would want to go home to. If he walks in the door and you're immediately like, well, this went wrong today and this went wrong today and this isn't okay and I don't like what this person did and these kids and this food and this. I think the man would want to turn around and walk right back out the door. We still have the same amount of things to do. We can either choose to embrace it and get it done or complain about what's happening. The only difference is the environment that we create for our families. Um, the, another thing that was really important that Rhoda taught me to do, and that's helped me with my family life and in terms of attitudes, is she helped me realize that we are most joy-filled when we are doing the things that God created us to do. And we are mostly frustrated when we're doing things that we stink at or that God never called us to do. And it's the same in a family. So when we learn and discover and figure out our strengths and let everybody in the family do what they're really good at, it tends to be a joy-filled environment. We all tend to be doing the, the things that work really well for us to do. So if one of the people in the house loves to cook, they should probably cook. If there's a certain chore that one person hates to do and other people don't mind, it only makes sense for the person who doesn't mind doing that chore to be doing that chore. It's it's not a tit for tat, a scorekeeping, I did this, you need to do this, I did this this week, you did this, you have to do this next week, or, or even worse, like you were mean to me or you did this, so you're going to have to do this to make up for it, or you owe me one. Nothing like that. You know, my son is just incredibly gifted with vehicles. He's a, he's a full-time mechanic. That's what he does. He's great at diagnosing problems, at, you know, figuring out how to take care of it, fixing them. None of us do anything with our cars anymore. We tell my son when we need an oil change, when there's something wrong with a tire, when the brakes are squeaking, whatever. We just tell him he deals with it done. None of us try to figure it out. None of us even go anywhere else. That doesn't mean that we expect him to do, you know, something at home that he's not gifted at. You know, he's, he's not super organized, but he fixes our cars. So it's one of those things that each person, when they do what they are uniquely gifted to do, man, when you allow each person to do that and not force them to do the things that they really aren't great at. Now, when it comes to raking or shoveling, that's kind of every man pitches in because you are not uniquely gifted to rake or shovel. We're all just going to get it done. So, you know, 
There's no getting out of that. But the older I get, you know, when my kids were young, I used to make chore charts and this person, you know, everybody had to take turns doing it. And there's nothing wrong with teaching your kids. Everybody needs to learn how to use the washer and everybody should be able to clean a toilet and, you know, that type of thing. But on the same token, you learn pretty quickly what chores your children love and what chores your children hate. And instead of making the ones who hate things do it and then possibly hearing them grumble about it, it's so much nicer to just um, let every person do, do what they like to do and what, you know, works well for them to do. On the same token, it's so important to teach our kids not to grumble when we do have to do the things that we don't like to do. That's the time to put worship music on, in my opinion, my humble opinion. The way I get through those things is to just put worship music on and just tackle it and get going. Praise God while you're doing it and um, don't worry about it. Again, going back to what Rhoda said, anytime you start to complain, just remember you're healthy enough to do it. You were given the time. You know why you have to do chores? Because you have a house or an apartment or a roof over your head. There are many people around the world who are not so blessed. So that another way to just really have the kind of house that is built up instead of torn down. I mentioned this in the motherhood podcast and I hope you don't get sick of me saying this, but the truth is positive reinforcement is just such a motivating factor. And I talked about children before, you know, catching them doing something good. I want to talk about your spouse today. For those of you who are married, I, a long time ago, when I went back to work and I'd work with, you know, male nurses or male nursing assistants, I started saying pretty consistently on a scale of one to 10, my husband is, is an 11, 12, sometimes 13. And I don't say that to brag or to make it seem like my husband is just extraordinarily, you know, wonderful. Like I do it for a couple of reasons. First of all, I don't want to leave any question as to if I'm content in my marriage because I most certainly am. My husband has strengths and he has weaknesses and I'm choosing to focus on the strengths. I'm choosing to focus on the parts of our relationship that are great. We'll be working on the other, our whole married life, I'm sure. Not only does it build my husband up in my coworkers' eyes, but I like to build my husband up in his eyes. I like to tell him, I tell people you are 12 or 13 on a scale of one to 10. Because you know what that makes him want to do? <laughs> it makes him want to be a 13. It makes him want to go the extra mile. If I were to grumble and complain and be like, you are a two on a scale of one to 10, most likely my husband would be like, well, that's as good as it gets, so why bother? Whereas when I'm building him up and when I'm telling him that I'm building him up in the eyes of other people, it makes him want to do better. And it also refocuses me so that I am absolutely focusing on his strengths and not his weaknesses, on the things that he does to bless me, 
not on the things that drive me crazy. Look, I don't care who you're living with. You could have the most educated, kind, handsome husband. There are going to be things about him that drive you nuts, sinful nature. So you can choose to focus on the good, or you can choose to focus on the bad. You can choose to build him up and say, you are amazing for doing this, 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 and this. Or you can choose to nag and focus on his weaknesses and quarrel with him like that drippy roof on a rainy day. And all of this really just points us to Jesus. I've thought, I've told you before, if you've listened to this podcast, you know that um, I'm reading through the Gospels this year. So this year, I get to just walk with Jesus. And I can't help but think how amazing it was to be around him. You know, he touches the leper. He healed the woman who had been bleeding for 12 years. He went to see the woman at the well. He came back to Mary. He did not condemn the woman who was caught in in adultery. He came back for Thomas when Thomas didn't believe. Jesus, more than anyone, knew the flaws of all his disciples. Look, they could make it look good. (laughs) They could make it look good in front of him, but he knew what they were thinking. So if they were actually grumbling behind his back, he knew it more than anyone. And yet, what we see is him encouraging, praying for, loving on people, just being this person that I imagine would be so hard to leave his presence. And that's why so often the people were following him that he drew the crowds. They were amazed at his teaching. They were just attracted to him. He was like a magnet, and they just wanted to be around him. And that's the kind of homes that we can have when we have the right attitude. And all of this really comes back to how we view God. Honestly, I think it does because, which is why it's in a soul care book, if we view God as our genie and that following him, things should just be good all the time, then my guess is we're going to be fairly disappointed because that's not why he came to earth. He came to make a way for us to go to heaven, to offer himself as a living sacrifice to be our salvation. And so the disciples were even disappointed because they wanted a political savior And the people of his day were disappointed who wanted a political savior. And so if we see God as our genie in the bottle, as someone to pray to who has all kinds of power to give us everything we want, and then we don't get it, we're going to be pretty disillusioned and we're probably going to be grumpy and we're probably going to grumble. But if we see God as the king of the universe and we see Jesus as someone who offered himself to us. And if we see ourselves as unworthy and therefore so blessed because he gives us infinitely more than we deserve, 
then we're not going to be disappointed in God. We're going to be so grateful to be chosen. Just today in my Bible reading, I don't remember if it was in Matthew 22 or 23, but it was talking about the parable of the wedding guests. And it said it ended with many are called, but few are chosen. And in my journal, as I was journaling, I thought, I said in my journal, man, how blessed it is to be chosen. Nothing to be taken for granted. Not today, not ever. If you're on Team Jesus, wow, are you kidding me? He's given us everything we need. And he continues to provide over and over and over more and more, infinitely more than we deserve. And so when that's our perspective, how could we not just love and serve him and love and serve the people he has put in our life, especially our families? Hopefully this will help you if your attitude needs a little bit of a fine tuning, as mine so often does. It's good to come back to these truths and to marinate on them and in them and hopefully be an aroma that shows the people around us the love of God. This has been Little Things because in God's kingdom, the little things are the big things.